Good morning. I want to start this morning by throwing out some numbers. 56 million. Anyone know what that number represents? That is the number of abortions that occur each year worldwide. How about this number? 10 million. That's the number of cancer-related deaths worldwide each year. 153 million. That is the estimated number of orphans in the world. 811 million. Anyone know what that statistic represents? That is the number of people who go to bed hungry every night. And yet 40% of food in the U.S. will go to waste. 264 million. This is the number of people worldwide who suffer from depression. 38,000. That's the number of people who die each year on U.S. roadways. And these numbers are probably going up as I do this sermon intro. And all these numbers represent the fact that something isn't right. And the local headlines aren't much better. Three people enter guilty pleas in death of pregnant woman in Abilene. Abilene man indicted in grandmother's June death. Man killed in car crash. You see these numbers, you read these headlines, and if you're like me, you think, it's not supposed to be this way. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And if this is the way it's not supposed to be, then what's the problem? How do you explain these numbers? How do you explain all the turmoil, the trauma, and the tribulation going on in the world around us? Reminds me of the story of the college professor who put two numbers on the board. Two numbers, eight and a four. And he asked for answers. And one student replied, well, the answer is 12. And the professor said, well, you're not wrong, but that's not the right answer. Another student piped up and said, well, the answer is four. And the professor said, you're not wrong, but that's not the right answer. Another student replied, the answer is 32. And the professor said, you're not wrong, but that's not the right answer. And then he shut down all the replies, and he said this, you keep giving me answers, but you can't give me the right answer without knowing the problem. And here's what we often do as a society. We see those numbers that I gave you in the beginning. We see the numbers and we think, what's the answer? And someone shouts out politics. But you're not wrong. But that's not the right answer. Somebody else shouts out, health care. You're not wrong, but that's not the right answer. Somebody else says, education. You're not wrong, but that's not the right answer. You can't just look at the numbers and start throwing out answers. Before you can arrive at a solution, you have to know what the problem is. And to understand the problem, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to tend it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for on the day that you eat from it you will certainly die. So here's an idea. How about we don't plant a tree? How about no tree? I mean, if it's going to cause that much trouble and turmoil and trauma 
and so much collateral damage from that point on. How about we just don't plant a tree? Why did God plant a tree? Out of love. I mean, that's strictly the reason for the tree is love. And you say, well, Chris, what in the world are you talking about? Love only means something if there is the possibility of rejection. And God knew the risk. He knew the risk of creating us. He knew the risk of loving us. He knew the risk of gifting us with free will. He knew that we might not choose him. And yet, it was all worth the risk for him. Look at verse 16 again. You may freely eat. Your version may say it this way. You are free to eat. You know, when I was rather small, my grandfather was mowing the yard and I was watching him. And he went in the house to get a drink. But right before he did, he looked me in the eye and he pointed his finger at me. And he said, Chris, do not touch that. And he pointed to the muffler on the mower. And he walked in the house. And guess what I did? I went over and I touched the muffler. And it turns out my grandfather was pretty smart. It was hot. And it did hurt. So much so that I had to go to the hospital. I had to have a bandage for quite some time. I tell you that story to tell you that my, my grandfather was the authority. But I had the right to refuse the authority. I could still go and touch the muffler. Should I have? No. And that's the point. Adam and Eve were told that they were free to eat from any tree except one. Could they still pick a piece of that forbidden fruit and eat it? Yeah, of course they could. Should they? No, obviously not. You can choose to refuse, but when you choose to refuse, you lose. Whether it's obedience or obstinance, whatever choice you make, you also must accept the consequences. If you skip down to verse 25 of Genesis chapter 2, it reads, And the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. Do you know what that's like? You don't, because you've never lived in paradise. You have no idea what it's like to not experience shame. And you can thank your parents, Adam and Eve, for that. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. I wonder how he said it. You ever wondered that? You ever wonder how the serpent said those words? I wonder about the inflection. Do you say like, did God really say that? I mean, is that really what God meant? I assume that the serpent had an attitude. I just figure a talking snake has an attitude. I kind of picture him like the snake on Jungle Book. In my mind, the serpent is downplaying God's words by saying something like, are you kidding me? Really? I mean, you think that's what God meant? Notice what he does say. He says to the woman, has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? No, God didn't say that. That's not what God said. 
God never said Adam and Eve couldn't eat of any tree of the garden. He said that they couldn't eat from one tree, and the woman corrects the serpent, but she misrepresents God's words as well. She says, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, uh, eat from it or touch it or you will die. God never said you couldn't touch it. Here's what God actually said. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for on the day that you eat from it you will certainly die. And so here's a question, what is death? I mean, Adam and Eve had no context for death. Nothing up to this point had died. The serpent, I could see how he might have diminished the consequence of death in Eve's mind when neither Adam nor Eve really had experienced death. And up to this point, nothing had ever died. And even though, you know, they understood a concept maybe somewhat of death from God, they had never experienced it firsthand. Then you notice verse 5 again. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. Well, kind of. I mean, sort of, right? I mean, he's not wrong. But that's that's the thing about Satan. That's why he's sly. That's why he's cunning and crafty. Because there's just enough truth mixed in with the lie and the deception. Their eyes would be opened. But he doesn't tell them what they would see. In fishing, there's this thing known as a Texas rig. So a Texas rig allows you to use a bait that is, you know, for all practical purposes, weedless. You can drag it through the grass and through the weeds without it getting hung up too bad. Those of you who fish in West Texas know that stock tanks and and even some lakes especially in the dead of summer, get a lot of grass, a lot of moss. And you want to be up kind of close to the bank if you're a bass fisherman, because that's where the bass are a lot of times. And so you can actually take a plastic worm like I have here, and you can insert the hook through the top, bring it out just below the top, and then you can run the worm up the line, up the hook, over the eyelet. You usually have a weight there as well. I prefer a bullet weight. And then you take the hook and you hide it, at least the barb, in the back of the worm. This essentially makes it weedless. It allows you to drag it or jig it along the grass or the moss without it getting stuck. It also looks a little more streamlined in the water and maybe uh, fools the fish better. Satan does that exact thing. He shows you the bait, but he hides the hook. That's what he does. He says your eyes will be open, and that's true. That's absolutely true. Their eyes would be opened, but he doesn't tell them what they would see. It's kind of like the medications that are advertised on television. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They show you the drug and they hype this medication as the solution to your problem. And then at the very end of the commercial, this voiceover person runs through a litany of problems that are associated with the medication or potential problems, right? Saw one the other day for joint pain. It can cure your joint pain. It can also kill you. They got rather have joint pain, right? Satan operates like those drug commercials, except that he doesn't give you the side effects. He only hypes the drug. He tells Adam and Eve that when they eat of this fruit, their eyes will be opened, which is true, but he doesn't tell them what they will be opened to. I've counseled with with women who have had an abortion, and they have suffered lifelong trauma because of it. What they thought would be a simple procedure to end a pregnancy turned into a 
a burden that they've had to bear the rest of their lives. And now every time they hear the suction of the vacuum cleaner, it destroys them and it kills them on the inside. They deal with the guilt and the shame over and over again. I've counseled with individuals and with couples who have experienced an extramarital affair, an individual that maybe had premarital sex, and and they deal with the shame and the guilt of that. There's long-term consequences for the short-term satisfaction. That person that's that's busting their hump to climb the corporate ladder and and, and to make a name for themselves and, and to earn more money, they don't always have the foresight to see ahead when they're sitting at the dinner table with their grown children and they tell them, you were never there for us. Yeah, your eyes will be opened. But to what? Satan is a master at the myopic. Short-sightedness is his specialty. He presents the bait, but he hides the hook. He hypes the drug, but he doesn't tell you about the side effects. He doesn't bring up the anxiety. He doesn't mention how the addiction is going to define you and dominate your existence for years. He doesn't tell you that your eyes will be open to shame and to heartache and to guilt and hurt and hopelessness and depression. He doesn't give you the side effects, only the high. And then look at verse 6 again. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband with her and he ate. Adam, your wife is talking to a snake. You might want to step in and do something. And he does. He does do something. He joins her in her sin. And we often put a period right there. End of story, the end. It's the tragic story of how the first two people on earth allowed hell to infiltrate their heavenly existence and God evicted them from the garden. Adam and Eve are remembered as a footnote in history, the husband and wife who created all of this mess that we are having to deal with in in our current state. Their story is most often associated with the doctrine of original sin, but even those who don't believe in that concept like us still don't remember their story fondly. And so we memorialize them as the originators of all that is wrong in the world. I mean, be honest. When you hear the names Adam and Eve, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Sin. Deception. The fall. You're not wrong. But that's not the right answer. We know what the problem is, but all too often, we only focus on on Adam and Eve, their story, and how we think that it ends. But this is not the end of their story. Their story doesn't end with eternal indigestion from eating the forbidden fruit. There's more to their story. Let's read a rather large chunk here, verse 7 and following of Genesis 3. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. Now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Two justifications here. Eve uses the justification that is all too common even in our world today. The devil made me do it, which is never true. As we've said before, the devil cannot make you do anything. He doesn't have authority. He has power. 
He needs a vehicle. He works by consent and cooperation, which is what he got from Eve. Adam uses a justification as well. Who does he blame? And don't say the woman. He blames God. The woman you gave to me. If you hadn't created her, none of this would have happened. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the livestock and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will make enemies of you and the woman, and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall deliver children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. Yet you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return." Now the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living and the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out with his hand and take fruit also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Folks, this is the story within the story. Adam and Eve kick-started the greatest story ever told, and it is the story of redemption. Again, we often write off Adam and Eve after their sin, and we move on to Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, etc. But God wasn't done with these two. In fact, their story was really just beginning. They may have lost paradise. They may have ruined paradise, but God made sure that they didn't lose hope. Adam and Eve's eyes were open, just like the serpent said. They were open to their shame and their nakedness, and they tried to cover it up. Have you ever seen a fig leaf? We used to have a fig tree in our backyard growing up. Fig leaves are huge, but God said they're not adequate. And so he covered them with animal skins. Let me say that again. He covered them with animal skins. He covered them, which means that he didn't give up on them. He still loved them. He still wanted a relationship with them. Do you know where animal skins come from? A dead animal. An animal had never died before. This was the first time. And it was to cover the shame and the nakedness of sinful people. Does that remind you of another story? Let me ask you this morning, what's your fig leaf? What are you using to cover yourself? Is it a degree on the wall? Initials after your name? Is it your appearance? Is it rule following? Is it avoidance? What's your cover? I know you know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Your cover should be Jesus Christ. Paul wrote these words. He said, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all sinned. Period? No. It goes on. Verse 18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, 
Through one act of righteousness, there results a justification of life to all men, for as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, you don't have to hide. You don't have to hide. You don't have to cover yourself. Let Jesus do that. So every time you turn on the news, every time you open up the newspaper, every time you visit the nursing home, every time you drive by a cemetery, every time you see the funeral procession, every time you weep at an open grave, you're reminded of the curse. Every time you're reminded of the curse, every time you're reminded of the problem, remember the solution. Jesus is the curse reverser. He is the serpent crusher. He is the exile ender. He is the promise keeper. He is the hope fulfiller. He is the exclamation point on the greatest story ever told. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you so much for what you have done for us, what you are doing for us. Thank you so much for salvation. Thank you so much for hope that comes through your Son. And God, may we all realize, no matter where we're at this morning, that our story is still being written. That there is no period, not yet. May we seek to let you finish the great work that you have started in us. God, thank you that this life is going somewhere. Thank you so much for hope. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. How can we help you this morning? Luke's going to lead us in a song. Don't leave here without being right with God. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?